God is good. And all the time. Excellent, excellent. Uh, it's, it's nice to be in, in this church. Uh, I know some of you are new in this church, so you think we are visitors, some of us. We are not. <laughs> you are the visitor. Welcome. 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 I know I'm, I'm happy to be here. Good to see some uh, uh, familiar faces. There we go. All right. Don't start a song, please. Uh, <laughs> all right. Where is my... Right. We, 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 we are discussing holistic approach to financial stewardship. And uh, just to recap, we, we, I, I, I shared that when it's, when it's complete, when, it, when it's holistic, uh, when it's not a hit and run, it includes wealth. Because tithe comes from wealth, offerings come from wealth, charity comes from wealth. And, and we want to get to a point as a church where... You know when someone believes that their solution came from the church, that's where their heart will be, you know? This church has solutions to many things, but we seem to be obsessed with things that might not grow other people. And we, we really need to start looking at the Bible and realizing that I've heard people saying that, you know when you're having a debate and then you quote the Bible and then someone says, no, let's be realistic. Let me tell you something. You can't define reality outside the Bible. The Bible is the most realistic book ever. It's the Christians who are not realistic. It's the preachers who are not realistic. The Bible, ah, you're not deal. It's realistic. It's realistic. And, and, and I think, and I know that the Adventist church, maybe not your church, we like criticizing, for example, people who, who go to churches where they are sprayed of doom. Yet those things, and we criticize, and then we are done. That's it. That's all we're going to do. People are going there because people are desperate. People are going there because they are sick. People are going there because their finances are not coming together. And all you can do is tell them not to go there. What have you offered to change their lives? And I want to say that this church has all the solutions. I'm going to demonstrate one or two. Has all the solutions. It's just that we are not interested in applying those solutions. Um, so, so, so I really hope that stewardship really uh, changes a lot of people's lives so that when they are steward and when they are blessed, they remember the Lord who blessed them. Right? So, maybe two disclaimers so that, so that we're on the same page. The first disclaimer, how many of us watch soccer? In case Chiefs fans are, are excused, but... So, so... <coughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But, uh, but the real soccer, right, we are talking about. So... So, <laughs> one thing you, you, would, you would notice um, with, with soccer is that there are two halves, isn't it? There's the first half and the second half, and then there's halftime. Okay, halftime is how long? 15 minutes, right? Um, obviously, if you're from Nambit, halftime, we go under the tree, but we are a change room. The disclaimer is this. When they're in the change room, they don't play soccer. Have you noticed? They don't score goals. Whatever happens in the change room is not going to help if you don't go back to the field. In the change room, they are reminded what they already know. You know, there's somebody who is not playing the way we practice, the coach reminds them. There's somebody who's doing everything we practice, but they don't see the results and is about to give up. The coach says, keep doing, we're going to score now. And we've noticed some teams where they were 2 nil down. For whatever happened in the change room, they come back and they score three goals. But they're not going to go score those three goals if they don't get out of the change room. And, and I want to suggest that sometimes when you come to church, it's, it's like a change room. I see it as a change room. Not that I'll preach for 15 minutes, but it's a change room. Says you one day, one day. <laughs> it's a change room. And, and, and we are not going to tell you something you don't know. We'll tell something you already know to encourage you, to remind you. Somebody, somebody has forgotten that sin is sin. We must remind you, it's still sin. It hasn't changed. Uh, somebody is doing the right thing all the time. They, they, they don't bribe. They, 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 they are honest on their tax returns. Very few people... But things just don't work out. In the change room, we are here to encourage that person and say, keep doing it, you are about to score. But do you realize, have you been to church where it's so nice, it's so nice, you don't want church to end. Like it's so nice. No, it must end. It must end. You know what must end? Because you don't score goals inside the change room. We must get out on the field. You are not going to win by sitting here the whole day. You are not going to win. Now, also in the change room, what it also means I've heard people say, how? See, corner, 
or, or maybe groups that you call a group and then they get angry that they sang only one song. But it's just a change room. Why are you obsessed with scoring goals in a change room? Why, why do you, the, you should have been preaching and singing it throughout the week so you can rest in the change room. We, we take offense sometimes because we are not playing a game outside. We want to play it here. That's why we start fighting in a change room. Why do you want to score? Why are you angry about, about not scoring, not doing this? And it's just a change room. You should have been doing that outside the field. Right. So, so the other disclaimer that I want to just share, that's the first disclaimer. It's just a change room. You'll hear nothing new, but we'll be encouraging each other. But it means nothing if you don't go out to the field and apply it. The score will remain what it is. The, 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 the second disclaimer is about truth. For, for the most part, truth, truth is, not, is not invented. It is discovered. What does that mean is that if, if, if I say something or any preacher says something, that sounds new, you've never heard, even if it's deep, if it's true, they didn't invent it. They discovered it. Whether from the Bible or from their life, they discovered it was there all along. It was there all along. Why is this important? Why is this important? It is very easy for people to start following preachers around. Because you believe truth is invented by him. He has a copyright on truth. Truth is discovered. You can discover truth on your own by reading the Bible. And, and it's important so that you don't praise the preacher. We praise the, the revealer of what the preacher discovered. But it also then means that we must stop living our lives out of notes from sermon. Go dig deeper. And, you know, the sermon is from the perspective of, of what the preacher has read. Discover your own truth yourself. Not from notes, from sermons. So, so with, those, with those two disclaimers, let's then start uh, this message. In the morning, we, we spoke about, we introduced a holistic approach to financial stewardship. We spoke a little bit in a very summarized manner where we spoke about the four pillars of wealth. But I want to I address something that, that, that sometimes worries people. That's why we end up not preaching about money, because we are scared what money does to people. And I want to say this again, that what determines whether finances are a tool or a weapon, it is the motive of the Christian. There, there are some of us who, who manage our money or use our money in a way that's not Christian. We, 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 apply, we apply humanist priorities instead of Christian priorities. I want to talk about that so that, so that when, whenever we then start talking and teaching Christians steps by step, step by step, how to get out of debt, how to save for emergencies, how to build wealth, we, we, we are not finding ourselves equipping people who are not Christians, who are going to use it to hurt the church. We want to be sure that we are talking to Christians whose priorities will be Christian priorities. So I want to just talk about the difference between um, humanist priorities and Christian priorities when it comes to finances. Humanism, humanism. if you talk about humanism, it is, it is the idea that, that as a human, I'm enough. In other words, in other words if, if, if it feels right, I must do it. Humanism believes that I can self-regulate. I don't need an outside force to tell me what to do. Humanism, humanism believes that, believes that um, we don't need, really need to worship God. We just need to worship ourselves or the environment because we are capable to be moral beings without being instructed by a superpower. So, so, so a, humanist, a humanist, maybe let me give you an example of, of some of the, of the humanists that you know. And, and I want to say something that why am I talking about humanism? It is because people who attend church, if you look closely, the way they handle their resources, they are, they are applying humanist uh, beliefs. So you thought we are speaking to Christians, but we are speaking to humanists. So you've equipped humanists to think about themselves. Um, if, and and, and here's, here's how it becomes easy for Christians, devoted Christians, to become humanists in their practices, especially how they prioritize money. It's this belief that there are certain things that are not in the Bible. I, the Bible is silent, my brother, on investment. <laughs> The moment you start believing this, the Bible is silent, the devil will be louder. Because where else am I going to get my solution if it's not in the Bible? Then the devil is always ready to give you a humanist theory and even tell you you are enough. So the moment you believe the Bible is silent on something, even without reading the whole Bible, it's become easy to say, hi, the Bible is silent on that one. No, it's your preachers who are silent. The Bible wasn't. The Bible... Now, this idea that there are things that are not covered in the Bible, 
makes us go elsewhere to cover those things. And elsewhere, the priority and the motive is not Christianity, it is humanism. It's humanism. So I want to then show you that the Bible, and I've already shown you, that when it comes to finances, there's over 2,000 verses that talk about money. The Bible is not silent on this matter. Even including how we prioritize our monies. So that's how humanism starts. One of the, one of the fathers, there are many fathers, one of the fathers of humanism is this gentleman called uh, Maslow, right? Maslow, and you must, must understand me very well, I, I am not promoting that we must stop using our brain and thinking. We can learn a lot from guys like Maslow. It's people who sat and thought and tried and said, what drives human beings? Some of us don't even sit and think. We are always fed. Our thoughts are given to us. Yet God has created a brain. So this man sits down and says, what drives human beings? What, how, how do people do, what do they prioritize? And then he came up with uh, something called the hierarchy of needs, which I've heard people using it in their sermons as the gospel. When it's not. It's from a humanist. It's from a humanist. But that's fine. That's fine. I'm not going to debate that, but I'll just show you how humanism easily creeps into church and sounds like a very intelligent and practical thing that we can all apply. So you find a Christian who is a Christian, but all their practices are humanism. Now, he developed this hierarchy of needs. And by definition, a hierarchy, you know, hierarchy in some sense, Maktiwa, Uma uma ulawena uno supervisor uno manager uno au kali ku director ulandeli hierarchy. That's how we develop the hierarchy. Can I just set an alarm so that we don't have a hostage situation? Um, I can talk forever. So, so this thing must assist me. Uh, if you if you hear it, don't don't start a song, okay? If you hear it, if you hear it ringing, ringing, it means I have I have seven minutes left. Once it rings, I must wrap up. So so he developed this hierarchy, and I admire him for spending time and thinking. Because it's quite, it's quite sad to realize that we no longer think. We, we just no longer think. I mean, there are problems in this country that this church can solve, but we're just not interested in thinking. We can learn from this. These guys thought, although their thoughts were being directed by someone other than God, but at least they thought. They thought, right? So, so he came up with this thing and said, here's a hierarchy. He calls it a hierarchy because before you go here, you must satisfy here. Now, he starts by saying the first thing that a human being needs, the basic thing that a human being needs is, 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 is physiological. So this is the issue of, of what you eat. Um, sex is physiological. Shelter is physiological. Uh, the way I dress is physiological. Now, he's saying that if that is not satisfied, do not expect this person who is hungry to really care about morals. That's what the hierarchy does. Will, will I not be audible if I take this thing off? If, if I'm not audible, someone is recording, you can hear. But, Mina, it's just that, yes, yes, Mumeni, Uncle so, so, um, because there's no budget for it, right? I'm taking this off. But Okay, we are here. So, 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 humanism, humanism says this. Humanism says this. Don't tell me about tithe while I'm still sorting out myself. Do not, do not tell me. Humanism says that if I'm hungry. Don't expect me not to be a prostitute. Until I'm sorted in my stomach, then I can care about morals. It's a hierarchy. It starts here. Once this is satisfied, then next. Now you hear Christians adopting a hierarchy like this. And when you hear them adopting, and here's the problem about human beings. If we are trying to build a church, or we are trying to do something in a community, and then you are following Maslow, you will say, you will say um, my basic needs are not met. Now here's the thing about the human heart. We are greedy. We will sort your basic. You have a nice basic house. And then you say, oh, you in, I, need a, I need an extra reception room. Because we are never satisfied. You are never going to graduate to, to think about God if you are following this thing. Because the human, the human heart, but, but in Israel, whatever, all these things that we say, right? So, so it means that once I, feel, once I feel I have basic needs, then the next thing I care about safety. I care about job security. I care about all those kind of safety. Once that is taken care of, then I can really fall in love. Then I can really care about my brother. Then I can really care. Love does not feature while I'm hungry, according to this hierarchy. And if love doesn't feature while I'm hungry, in fact, they say, once you've sorted that out, then you really care about your esteem. In other words, I will do anything to get these things. I don't care what it says about my dignity. I will chase love no matter what once I'm sorted. Now, there's a problem with this hierarchy. 
Because this hierarchy says you only then start thinking about God and helping others when these things are taken care of. And here's the sad thing. Some Christians, when God has blessed them with resources, they follow this hierarchy. We're not talking about that now. And obviously, but, but here's the thing. You know, you know the, Bible, the Bible, as I told you, the Bible is enough. Jesus then, it's as though Jesus knew that this is what Jesus then does. If you remember in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, the devil comes and tempts Jesus. The devil does a Maslow on Jesus. It says, Maslow says physiological first before I care about prayer. Before, I'll pause it into your tenders. In other words, start with your physiological. Turn, turn stones into bread. Then you deal with physiological. Then you deal with physiological. Then you write what you And then what does Jesus say? He says, men shall not live by bread alone, but every. Now, Jesus takes Maslow and puts it upside down and says, your order should be upside down. You should start with God first. Without knowing that Maslow was coming, Jesus already turned this thing upside down. Now, here's a, an interesting thing. So, so, so for a Christian, we, we, we are contrasting humanism and Christianity. So for a Christian, the priority is not necessarily your stomach. The priority is God. And, and we must be clear here. You'll be surprised that putting God first is not actually for God. It's for you. God benefits nowhere when you put him first. He's already first whether you put him or not. Putting him first is for you. It's for you. Now, let, let's, let, me, let me show you what I mean by that. If you go to your favorite verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. Right? Eating. Eating, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear. What, and he says, even the heathens worry about that. So Christ is then saying, be careful not to start with your physiological needs. It's the heathens who care about that. He says, it's the heathens. There must be a difference between a Christian and a heathen. Otherwise, we might as well be in a disco. If you are not different, really, you are wasting time here. So he says, says, don't, even the heathens want these things. You should want something else. But look at what it does. It says, God knows you need these things. Isn't it wonderful that God is not in denial of our needs? So in other words, words, when we are seeking God first, we are not depriving ourselves. He is not in denial. And and, and therefore, therefore, we are safe with God because he's not in denial. Some people, if you were to put them first, they'll forget about you. They'll forget about you. You put him first. We am kulusi, we am kulusi, we am kulusi. My self look shy to share our na. We are tata abang yabam chole esefuti you. Oh, but when zil? So tanga ne vest. So 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 so. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can put God first and trust him because he's not in denial of your needs. And then he says, the issue is not these needs. These needs, I'm aware of them, and I know you need them. The issue is priorities. That's why I then say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let me then, let me then show you something. This thing of putting God first, as I said, is for you, not for God. This is, how, this is what I mean is for you. Do you realize that when you seek the kingdom of God, you actually find your identity? What do I mean? When you seek the kingdom of God, you actually discover who you are. You discover that actually I'm a child of the kingdom. And I'm going to show you what, why that's important for you in your finances. Why this is for you, not for God. Paul, Paul does a mathematical um, formula here. Romans 8, verse 16 to 17. He says, we are God's children. All right? Then he says, if we are God's children... We are therefore heirs. And if we are heirs, we are called heirs with Christ. In other words, in other words when, 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 God, when God looks at us, when God relates with us, he doesn't relate with us as, as some, some outsiders. He's relating with us the same way he relates with Christ. In other words, in other words, in other words, I'm already important, so I'm a child of a kingdom. I want you to, to think about this thing. Let me ask you a question. If you didn't care what people thought, would you drive the, the car you drive? If you didn't care what people thought, would you stay where you stay? Would you dress? There's many things where we spend money because we are worried to Tabanba Zotin. 
God is then saying, and some of us, some of us spend money on things because those things are gonna make us look important. Right? Why why mina meaning traffic? And we do these things for dignity. Some people are spending on expensive clothes because they make them look good. They they are buying importance. God is then saying, if you seek first my kingdom, you will discover you are already important. You are the heir of a kingdom. You are called Eucharist. In other words, in other words, I'm already important. When I go to buy a car, I'm looking for transport, not for importance. Is this important person looking for something to transport him? When I'm buying clothes, I'm not buying clothes based on how they'll make people respect me. Is this important person who needs something that will cover this importance? That's it. Have you seen somebody, have you seen somebody who takes the cheapest dress? Because of the way they wear it with confidence, it, it looks very expensive. And someone who's wearing something expensive, they have to tell us it's expensive. I go back. Asbon. So, 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 so this thing of seeking God first assists you in your ego and your confidence so that when you are spending your money, you're not buying importance. You have importance. You're buying things for their usefulness, nothing else. I mean, the poor dress wants to cover you. Now you want it to make you important. I mean, this thing just wants to cover you. That's it. That's it. But here's another verse that, that blew my mind. That blew my mind. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 20. <clears throat> it says, I pray that your heart will be flooded with the light so that you can understand the power that is within you. But look at what it says. Now, work with me now. Let, Christ was God, it? And do you agree that something that can kill God is really strong? But even better, something that can resurrect a dead God is even stronger. Now, Paul is saying in verse 19 and 20, he says this. He says, I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ. Paul is saying the power that raised Jesus Christ resides in you. I want you to imagine that the power that could raise a dead God sits in you. I don't need to purchase importance. I'm already important. Whatever I drive does not make a statement. It transports me. That's it. There's no statement involved. So, so seeking the kingdom of God helps you so that you your budget has nothing to do with importance. It has everything to do with, with usefulness. Right. And then we skip these few verses. <clears throat> now, when you've sought the kingdom of God and you find your identity, you are no longer defined by the things you have. It was interesting. Um, <clears throat> one day, Tzadapa, a man. Now, we've always seen Amen cars here. You know, the Porsche, the, you know. Now you're going to Germany and say, hey, must be a German, we'll see the best of the best. We'll see, we'll see even, even the one in Africa, Africa. You know, because we are with the Germans now who make the German cars. The Africans are already driving the German cars. Who knows what the Germans are driving? Must be a The Germans who make the German cars are on bicycles. <laughs> While the Africans are on German cars. There is something about knowing that you've just made a choice, but you could do what you want, knowing that you've got confidence. These guys, have, they make the cars, but right now they're looking for transportation. It can be done with a bicycle. Right. That's what importance does. Now, <clears throat> there's many verses where it shows that this thing of, of prioritizing your stomach first. I mean, Moses, uh, where is Moses? Moses, for example, he gave up being a prince so that he can help those who were oppressed. He didn't do a Maslow. He did something Christian. Right. Obviously, there's nobody who sacrificed more than Christ himself. In other words, in other words, for a Christian, it is God first. And everything shall be added. For a humanist, it is physiologically first. That is why sometimes in churches, we will see beautiful cars parked outside and think that we can construct something big. No, those are humanists. They are still sorting themselves out. They will give you if change remains. They haven't become Christians. They are just humanists who happen to, to, have, to, have, to have some guilt happening on them, so they attend church. But there's no Christianity in them. So we are busy thinking we are talking to Christians. We are not talking to Christians. We are talking to humanists. Anyway. What then, what, then drives, what then drives the priorities of a Christian when it comes to their finances? And I suggest that if you go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 39, it is love. Okay? Sorry, can I just... <clears throat> I have flu. 
No, men flu is very serious. You guys, I don't understand. I almost died. <laughs> we are working on a show, but in the a show about the survivors of men flu. We. <laughs> so, so let, let's get back to. This. So, so, so what drives what drives a Christian should be love for God, love for self, love for the neighbor. And that's why the Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your... It continues, right? And then it says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself already says that you are loving yourself. Three things that should drive the Christian. Three priorities. Love for God, love for neighbor, and love for self. Those things drive a Christian. The first being loving God. Right. Now, let's have a look at what we are talking about here. Obviously, when you talk about tithe, it's probably where we talk about when you express the love for God, etc., etc. But I just want us, we know a lot about tithe. Every Sabbath, there's a verse here. Um, sometimes some of these verses are threatening us, but there's a verse <laughs> on tithe. There's a verse on tithe. But, but I, I feel sometimes we, we miss the spirit of tithe when we are trying to comply, when we are trying to, 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 re, to return tithe so that I can be elected. If that is, if that is, and, and by the way, it's just that Pelade, Zander will never make me a, a treasure. Because Makfiki tithe mean, we were taught auditing. Makfiki tithe, spoon pay sleep. Because how do we know that this tithe is complete? Yeah. <laughs> Some people are just being, they're just putting a thousand rand so that a village is a part. But just imagine if your reason for telling people to retain tithe is that man are retain tithe, we won't put you in a church board. Do you think that's reason enough to, co- I mean, who wants to lead this church? As a Masabata Shupap, who really wants the stress? If that's your reason for wanting me to return tithe, shut up hands. Sometimes we say we must return tithe so that God can bless us. No, we return tithe because we're already blessed. It's a response to the blessing. It's not a purchase of blessing. We're not bribing God. Tithe is not a bribe. Yes, there are extra blessings, but blessings are already there before the tithe. That's why I have 100%. It's because of the blessing. I return tithe because I'm blessed, not so that I'll be blessed. It is not a bribe. It is not a bribe, right? Now, let's say a few things about tithe. Tithe should come from a heart of gratitude, not a heart of compliance. You know, when tithe starts to come from a heart of gratitude, 10% will be nothing. The reason we are sticking to 10%, we are complying, we have no gratitude. What do I mean by that? You remember, remember Mary, who, who washed Christ's feet with her expensive perfume. Now, when did we discover that the perfume is expensive? Is it Mary who tells us, this is expensive perfume, but expensive. Where do we hear that? Where do we hear that the perfume is expensive? We hear that the perfume is expensive from the people who are watching, who are now starting to feel she's wasting. When you give from gratitude, you will give your best. Even people around you will think you are wasting. Let's think about it. I mean, if you go to Luke 8, verse 2, Mary, someone took out demons from Mary. Now, you got to understand, I know that we've got very sophisticated demons, Tin. Not a demon, a soft, 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 Mary had the demons where, where it's so violent, it's so violent that she even forgets what she did. You, you now find and sober, and then you hear what you did to people you love, and it will hurt you. She was going through that, and Christ delivered her from that. What was, what was perfume? Looking at what God has done for me. Lazarus was alive. What is perfume? When we start thinking about what God has done for us, 10% will be nothing. We'll get to a point where the elders start to say, that's enough. But you're never going to get there. We're never going to get there when it's not from a heart of gratitude. Yeah. Is, it, is it on cross or on net? Hey! Usabuza logo! 2019! So it must come from gratitude. It must come from gratitude, right? Right. But the other thing about tithe is that, you know, there's a spiritual gift that we ignore, the spiritual gift of wealth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy, and I'm reading from, from the message. I'm not reading from the king who is non-Adventist. So, 
Listen to this. It says, if you start thinking that all this wealth are accumulated with my own power, it says, think again. It is God who gives you the ability to generate wealth. In other words, in other words, tithe is an acknowledgement that it is God who gives me the ability. It's not through my might. That's another thing about tithe. Tithe also is acknowledging that God is a creator. There are many atheists who attend church who don't believe that God is a creator. So let's think about this thing. Firstly, firstly, if you look at the creation week, they want there's nothing, so let there be light, etc., etc. By the time the human being arrives, everything is there. In other words, in other words, tithe reminds you that God made everything. I found it here. That's the first thing. It bursts your bubble. Some of us think we make money because of our cleverness. But here's the thing about, about creation and tithe. Let's, let's then agree. If you were returning tithe to Ukulan, you must worry about running out because I can't help you. But if you are returning to God, because many of us don't return tithe because we are worried we'll run out, we'll be left with nothing. Look at this, look at this. If we are returning to a God who is a creator, by definition, to be a creator is the ability to take nothing and make everything. Is that okay? Now, if I'm returning to a creator, nothingness does not intimidate this creator. In fact, when I'm left with nothing, I'm left with his raw material. You are left with the stuff he uses to create. Nothingness. So nothingness must never stop us from returning Christ. Returning Christ. When you return Christ and you left with nothing, we then watch God creating. Because he creates with the raw material called nothing. So, so, so it then means that when I'm not returning tithe, I'm missing out on seeing God work in other ways than he's already done in my life for me to generate tithe. Give you an example. And, and here's the thing. Some of, us, some, of us are, some of us trust the things of God more than we trust God. So, so, so you, you want to protect your job because you think it's the job that sustains you, yet it's God that sustains you. You, 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 you know, some of us, if you really think about it, if you go to the book of, um, book of Joshua, chapter 1, and you read verse 2, it starts by Moses dying. And then everybody panics because Moses has done so many things, right? But look at, look at that whole chapter, the, the whole book of Joshua. It's a, it's a book of, 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 of victory without Moses. There are some victories that for them to happen, a Moses must die. A job must be gone. So you discover it wasn't the job that sustained me. It was God. You know somebody who doesn't have a job, but they always sleep with have, having eaten food. Is it the job of God who sustains? You know somebody who doesn't have a car, but they always arrive. Is it, the, is it the car or is it God? We need to get to a point where we trust God more than we trust the things he uses. And tithe gives us that, that, that opportunity to say, it is not money that sustains me. What is money? I can give this tithe because it is God who sustains, not money. But also, but also if you believe in the things of God, we will never get to see God working in other ways. Anyone says something interesting? He says, God has a thousand ways to solve your problems. And she is not saying these thousand ways are alternative. This way works perfectly. This one works perfectly. Way number 900 works perfectly. He has a thousand ways. Some of us are stuck in saying that I'm sustained by a job. We have not discovered the other thousand ways how God sustains you. Tithe gives you that opportunity. Imagine if these guys believed, and I'm talking now about believing in the things of God and not believing in God. Imagine if they believed that the only way to cross the Red Sea is that there must be a boat. If they were Adventists, they would have started the nominating committee as a, as a nominator, Abandabas of Abu Boat Committee, and the Pharaoh would be there by then. But they trusted God, and they discovered another way of crossing the Red Sea, dry land. When you trust God, you discover new ways of solving your problems. This miracle would not have been recorded if they didn't trust God. Isn't it sad that every time you need to give testimony, you are still quoting, I'm a miracle Abraham. God, for Abraham. Abraham, this Abraham, that quote your own. Quote your own. But you will never quote anything when you have not trusted God. Nothing. You are playing it safe. You are playing it too safe. What about this woman in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 7, who, who she, was, she had been married to a man who loved the Lord. You know, there are many people who are devoted to God, but they are not following issues of man. You leave children and wives in, in debt, but at least you were a man who loved the Lord. Okay, there was a man who loved the Lord. He died. He died. Okay, I see me again. The prophet was nicer than me. So, 
Some prophet, you are feeling, okay, give me something to eat. Listen to this woman. This woman says, I have enough for the last meal, for me and my child to eat and die. When after returning tight, you will be broke, she was going to die. And then she gives the, the, the food. She trusts God. Having trusted God, she becomes a monopoly capitalist in the cooking oil market. She owns the market of cooking oil. And verse 7, what does the preacher say? He says, he says this. He says, sell everything and with the money go and pay off your debt and then leave off the rest. In other words, do not throw a party because you've made money. First, the first thing God wants when he has blessed us is that we get out of debt. It comes up again. Comes up again. So let's talk about offering. I'm going to leave tight. Tight, all I was saying with tight is that can it come from a heart of gratitude, not a heart of compliance? When it comes from a heart of gratitude, when you think of what the Lord has done for you, what is 10%? You'll be giving 50%. No one will need to open verses and threaten you here. Let's talk about offering very quickly. We'll talk about tight offering and charity. Talk about offering. So, oh, there's a nice story. You know, there are people who, when they read the Bible, no, but I'm serious. Let me serious. I'm going to smile. serious. And I wonder when they read this passage, do they stay with a straight face? This thing is funny. Here's what happens. So Jesus, Jesus had been walking, uh, doing miracles. In fact, he, he says he's a Messiah. The Pharisees are saying, You are not a Messiah. One time he's in a temple and he reads from Isaiah and then says, Today this prophecy is fulfilled. And we're very angry. You can't be a Messiah. Because they knew, I'm a how can Messiah? So 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 they, 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 they dismiss. In fact, at some point they call it, they call him the someone who's 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 a glutton, So they didn't like this Messiah, and then they crucify him. You must understand now that if Christ turned out to be a Messiah after the Pharisees have proven to everybody that he's not a Messiah, their reputation would have been in, 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 at stake, and they would have been the ones on the cross. So they needed to make sure that everything that can make this guy a Messiah will stop it. Now, just like now, if I were to wake up now and say I'm a prophet, check this who can be a prophet. Okay. So, 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 so in Israel, they already had a checklist of knowing who is the Messiah. And as I had already said, the Messiah will be like this. And Christ was ticking all of them. Now, there was this, these two, because the others were very easy to tick. I mean, uh, if he was going to be, uh, well, if he was going to come from Bethlehem, I mean, I, can, I could also have moved from Nambiti to Bethlehem and say, hey, Mpume Bethlehem, Messiah. So, so there was this, these two tricky ones that also remained. The first one was that, was that, uh, it said that the Messiah will be buried amongst the wealthy. Now, we know. That's why they always emphasize Umpanaga Joseph. Back in the days, the wealthy will buy land where they'll be buried. That's Amanda Amanda Barish, but Fungu Bai VIP in Shosebe field. They want to be. Banya is a dedicated community in Shosebe field. Right? So they had that thing. Now, the emphasis on saying Umpanaga Joseph is to emphasize that he cannot be a Messiah because the Messiah to be buried amongst the wealthy must have been wealthy so that the family buys the field of the wealthy. This guy can never be a Messiah. And then Joseph comes, a wealthy man. He says, okay, can he be buried in my tomb? Tick. Buried amongst the wealthy. And the point that this is making is that God can fulfill his promises to you in a way you've never imagined. Amen. Some of us have already defined our promises. We have, a, we have a timetable. After graduation, I must do this. And God must disrupt that so that you realize that God blesses in different ways. This guy gets buried amongst the wealthy without being born in a wealthy family. Tick. Now, the last one that really, really was very serious is that he was going to resurrect. Now, if he resurrects, then there's a Messiah. Then our credibility is on the line. So, we need to make sure this guy does not resurrect. Okay, so what do they do? They seal the tomb, but Fabi super true. Right. Boom. <laughs> Just in case, if he wakes up, who's over suffocated? Not only that, not only that, they go and put soldiers outside. We can't afford to have a Messiah because we'll be the ones on the cross. We've told people this man is not a Messiah. And he's taking everything, but he can't resurrect. If he resurrects, we have a Messiah. So, we get to this passage. He has resurrected. On the third day, we know the story. He resurrected. Obviously, other preachers would have stopped it. And he resurrected. No, no, no. No. 
He resurrected. Let's leave it there. Now, so, 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 so this, passage, this passage is when the soldier, one of the soldiers who was asked to guard, is here now to report to the high priest. High priest. Now, listen. Listen to the high priest. Listen, I want to show you something about, we talk about offering, don't worry. Listen to the high priest. The Bible says, the Bible says, when the chief priest heard this, that this man is resurrected, he gave this soldier a large sum of money. And he says, your story can't be Uguti Ufugil. Your story must be, now you can't read this and have a straight face. The story must be you were sleeping. Ben Lel. And then while you were sleeping, you saw. How, how do you see when you I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You were sleeping. But now I must explain the absence of the board. So we saw his disciples killing him. Now you can't read this thing with a straight face. Now. Offering, offering. Now, now, now. If any of us, any of us were to be caught sleeping, because he was at work. Now we must admit that he was sleeping at work. If any of us were to be caught sleeping on the job, you are fired. It's a cross, it's a cross misconduct. Look at what the high priest says. This soldier must have said, I has Look at what the high priest read it. The high priest says, I've taken care of the governor. So your boss won't fire you. I've taken, I've also given him a bribe. You read it, it's there, it's there. Don't worry about the governor. We've taken care of the governor. So you, you won't be fired for sleeping on the job. And then Matthew says what? Says till today. This story that you've just laughed at when you thought it's ridiculous, it's believed. Till today, the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah because this one was, was stolen by disciples and he, those disciples were seen by sleeping soldiers. So, so that's our story. We stick with it. Now, what does this have to do with offering? So let's think about this thing. Do we believe that this thing is a lie? It's a lie. Do we believe that the gospel is the truth? Do we believe that the truth that we carry, which is the gospel, is designed to fight and counter lies like this? You know why this lie is surviving? It was financed. The high priest gave the man. So, but we don't want to finance a gospel that must fight a finance lie. How do we expect to win? The offering is here to finance something that fights what's financed. The devil is financing his thing. And we not, you, know, you just want to sit there. We must finance this thing because we are fighting what is financed. And that's what offering is for. That's what offering is so, 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 But here's the other thing about offering. Here's the... I, 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 my height. All right. All right. Ashinto Zonyuwa. All right. Let's come, come now, come now, come now. Let, let's do this. Let's do this. The other challenge I want to I want to pose, and, and we are still talking about offering. The other challenge I want to pose. Now, I've been in church all my life. For the all the all the 35 years I've been so I, I wasn't born in church, I was born in a hospital and then let him go. But 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 oh whoa, whoa, come come back. So 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 and there's always a church building committee. Church building committee. I mean there's another one, um Lang Buya Corner. The committee wanted to raise 15 million rents. That's that's Every, every church I've seen has a church, none been a church building committee at some point. It's a second, it? Have you noticed that once we reach our target, once we build the church we wanted, we dissolve the church building committee. There's no committee that builds the church inside the church. There's no committee that builds the people. So we have a beautiful church, but people can't afford education. We have a beautiful church. There is no committee. They, we are obsessed with buildings, brick and mortar. We are not obsessed with souls. Is the church the building or the people? If we've had a committee that builds a 2.5 million rents church, let's have a committee that builds a 2.5 million rents church. Where do I get this idea that offering is not just for structures, but it is also for the communities and the church? Let me give you an idea. If you go back to when Abram is called, 
What does God say to Abraham? He says, through you, nations will be blessed. What does it mean? It means that Abraham, your, 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 your seeds, your people, your generation, when they arrive in a place and there's a curse, because they are there, the curse will be removed. When they arrive in a place, there's poverty. Because they are there, poverty will end. When they arrive in a place, and that's what offering is for, is to make us be a blessing where we are. Can I ask a question? Can I ask a question? If we were to wake up tomorrow, this church doesn't exist. What will go wrong in this area? Will poverty increase? So what's the point of having church? If we're not impacting communities. So it's very exciting when, when, when the lady was talking about the church building in the morning and she said that we want it to be a center of influence. Can it not just be a dream? Because everybody is saying that thing, but no one is doing it. Can it be done? Because there's a purpose of being a church. Through you, nations must be blessed. You see this thing in action when Joseph... His circumstances were wrong. I mean, he is sold by his brothers. He's hated by his brothers. And then he finds himself in Egypt. At 30, through him, nations were blessed. At 30, there's a famine. And because, because he takes serious the blessing that was given to Abraham, what happens? He becomes a prime minister and he prevents the world economic meltdown by creating a solution that in seven years we can store up. Through you, nations must be blessed. When you arrive in a place, when your church is around, things must change in the area. That's the whole point of offering. It is not just to pay electricity and have amateurs out of It's also so that other nations can be blessed. So where do we get that idea? Which really takes us to the last part, which is, um, which is, which is, which is giving, charity. So I want, to talk about, I want to talk about loving your neighbor. So that was loving God, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let's talk about loving your neighbor. Loving yourself, you know, you love yourself already. Okay, let, let's leave Ellen White for now. So, when, when it talks about charity, I want to start here because we, we like doing the charity where we can take photos and be seen. We like that kind of charity. We, you know, let's say we have a, a church WhatsApp group and we're all looking forward to Master Wenzel Tokas. We're all looking forward to the clothes Uzota will contribute. Uzota Wenkos, not Uzota Waband. Uzota will contribute. <laughs> right? Come, come, come now, come now. We, we are always looking forward. We're always looking forward to the clothes. Because, and, and also, every now and then, Uzoto sends out Ama Post Apumid. We are still team seven But Uzoto has never given clothes to her family, has never shared those same posts to her cousins. He wants to do charity where we can clap hands for her. But back home, she has done nothing. Now, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, says, no matter how much fasting you do, if you are doing it here and not doing it at home, you are worse than a heathen. When you thought charity begins at home was some American slang, it's here in the Bible. It must begin at home. Why is that? Why is that? God wants us to be like him. Think about this thing. God knows that after, after church, you are planning, even as we sit down, some of you are planning their sin. And it still allows you to be alive to sin. Have you seen that your, your, your cousin or, or, your, or your sister, you do something nice for them in the morning. By afternoon, they are being rude to you, this ungrateful thing. So, so God is saying, start at home where you might not be appreciated. Then you will learn to be like me. Start at home, start at home. But let's talk about charity very quickly. I want to show you that the standard is higher than soups and blankets. So here's the story. Obviously, Christ has been crucified because he's a false messiah, according to the Pharisees. Which means anybody who follows him is also worshipping this false messiah. They are seen as a breakaway group. breakaway group. By the way, by the way, by the way, even the other side calls you the breakaway group. So so, so the disciples were then seen as this breakaway group that's not following the laws of Moses. They're following this heathen guy who called himself Messiah. In other words, in other words, if you are seen joining this church of this breakaway group, you are also seen as a traitor. Now, work with me now. Seven minutes left. Okay. Work with me now. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, The church... God was adding daily to their numbers. Hold the thought. 
also mark that it says daily, not every Sabbath, which suggests that this, this church was operating every day. It was saving the community every day. Imagine we raise two million rands for something we use for only eight hours a week. So their church, in fact, the idea of the temple being open every day, you get it also in the Old Testament where they say that if you find yourself in trouble, you could run to the temple and hold on to the horns. Does that mean that trouble must not find you on Wednesday or kill you? So daily God was adding because they understood that church is the daily thing. Church must be relevant to the community, build the community. So daily. So now it's about 50 this Sabbath. Monday is about 60. By the time they open the next Sabbath, they are 100 because God is adding daily. Hold that thought. I want you to think about this. This was a chauvinistic society. This was a society where a woman was seen to be a lesser economic entity than a man. In other words, as a woman, you could find it hard to own property in your name. That is why, that is why when, 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 when the father dies in the family, the, the eldest son will inherit a double portion. The first portion is equal to everybody else. The second portion is so that he assumes the role of a father and take care of a mother and a sister because they are lesser economic entities. Cover that risk for them. Right. Now, in, in, I mean, in South Africa also, if you really think about it, only until 1998, where they passed the law to sort out these things, a woman couldn't sign a contract on her own. A woman was treated like a man. You needed permission or an affidavit from a man. That's why some men here, they think it's still before 1998. We'll deal with them another day. <laughs> so, so, so I want you to understand. In other words, when, when, when my husband has died, for me to enjoy the assets of the same name, I must stay with the in-laws and enjoy that. And then I hear Peter preaching. I am now part of the daily that are joining the church. So I joined this church of breakaway guys. I'm the only one who converts in this family. Then by Bugabat, oh, now so you I now become poor. I lose access to the resources of the same name because of the gospel. Because I joined the gospel to people who are seen as a breakaway group, I get punished. Let me bring it closer. There's somebody who was running a very successful business that opened on Sabbath, and they had the gospel. Now they are closing on Sabbath. There's a hole in their budget. Because of the gospel, they've got a financial crisis. There's somebody, there's somebody who was running a shipping and he had the gospel and closed the shipping. There's a hole in their budget because of accepting your gospel. There's a child, there's a child who accepted your gospel, but his father is a pastor in a ZCC, and the father says, Because of your gospel. And all you give them is Amen. Amen. That person is hungry because of this gospel. You are giving them amen. Now look at this. Look at this. Look at this. The widow comes, joins this church as part of chapter 2, verse 47, as part of this growth. She becomes poor possibly because she has now joined Amashubuga. And then the Bible says, none amongst them were poor. In other words, in other words, you walk in, you are poor. Because you are inside, there is a fund that takes care of the consequences of the gospel. Now, let me show you that it's there in the Bible. The standard is high. How do I know this? Go to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We discover there was a widow's fund. Because they understood that widows become poor for accepting the gospel. When they get in here, they must not be poor. There was a fund. How do I know there was a fund? Go and read Acts chapter 6, verse 1. There is now a fight where I think it was the Greek women, women who wanted to complain to the elders. Say, man, in the fund, in Arctic favor, for there to be favoritism, there must have been a fund. There was a fund that took care of the consequences of the gospel. But look how high the standard is. Poverty eradication. None amongst them were poor. Why? Because people sold what they have and they could contribute. Do you think someone will sell all his land for soup? I want us now to talk. Poverty is an economic problem. You solve it with an economic solution. A job, a skill, or whatever. That's how you solve it. A soup is temporary. A soup can't be your plan. A soup must be what supplements the plan. Unfortunately, we are swimming in so much debt as church members. All we can afford are soups and blankets. We start calling it the permanent plan. That is a temporary plan. The soup must be eaten while a program of empowerment is happening. During lunchtime of the... It can't be the program itself. 
Where do I get that idea? Okay, so there are these guys. But you also realize that for these guys to be able to eradicate poverty, they had to be out of debt. They had to be people who, who have assets. He sells the land he contributes to the church. Cornelius sells the land he contributes to the church. This woman who, bro who broke all the chauvinistic uh, limitations, she ran a business as a woman who leader. She contributed to the church. And I want us to talk about how we approach charity, and then we'll close. I know that we do a lot of charity as a church. But God has a way that he wants us to approach charity. Let's not create dependence. You know, when you do something once for somebody, they didn't expect it. There's gratitude. You do it for the second time. Now there's anticipation. That's last week, Wednesday, Basniga. Nalia, Wednesday, Basniga. I think I endow this Wednesday. Let me just, because there's anticipation. That's a good trend. You do it four times, there's expectation. Very finally, Basniga. You do it four times, the entitlement. Entitlement is this. We were running a soup kitchen. And in a soup kitchen, we were giving out four slices. Right. And the word spread, we took the soup kitchen, then more people came. Now we can't afford to give four slices. We now give three slices. You've created entitlement. We have four slices. You've created entitlement. You do it five times. You've now created dependence. Unsigned down. This is where I make money. I'm not moving. You become the plan. Look at how God wants us to approach charity. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10. He says this. He says, When you are giving to a poor, when they are poor amongst you and you are harvesting in your field, do not harvest everything. Leave some for the poor. Now, let's listen to this thing. Did God say, harvest for the poor, and go and deliver it at their door? No. He said, leave it for them. Let them come and, and pick up. In other, words, in other words, when you do charity, don't, de don't deprive people of the gift of work. You give a person dignity. When someone feels like, I've done something also to get this, then they have dignity. Then they have dignity. Um, how do I put it? When we were created, one of the first kids, you know, when, when the Bible says you are in the image of God, and, and Jesus says, Jesus says, my father is always working. What makes us to be like God is also, is also the issue of work. In fact, the first gift we get after Adam and Eve were created is the gift of work, where Adam is given a gift of working. When I deprive you of that gift, I don't see you as the image of God. I see you less than me. And some of us, some of us are, are, are only taller when others are on their knees. So we keep them on their knees. You never do something big enough that gives them feet because they'll pass you. Here's another one. You go to Acts chapter 3. Verse, I want to talk about the type of charity, what charity must be. Um, Acts chapter 3 verse 6. Now, Peter and John, they go to the temple. They see this layman. I don't think it was the first time this layman was at the gate of the temple. I think he was there all the time because he understood this is where I make most money. Because you know the Bible taught us that the Pharisees liked to show off. When they give, they wanted everybody to see. Then this guy says, I'm going to give them an opportunity. I make more money at this gate than anywhere else. So he sits there. And then this day, this day was different. Peter and John come. Now he knows who Peter and John are. Because Peter and John are known. They were famous with Jesus. Then he says, I'm a stalwart of Christianity. I won't come back here for two weeks. I'll go on vacation. Now, the first six words of Peter must have irritated this man. Silver and gold have I none. What, what do you mean, Peter? Got in son turned up. Entitlement. That which I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. Ask you a question now. Do you think next week this man was at the gate? Our charity must do that. Must give people feet. You can't be excited that your charity must be such that Uspiso doesn't come back. Uspiso now knows how to make his own soup. Charity must empower. It must not create dependence. You've heard people, you know, here's the other funny thing. It's about giving someone an equal chance, an equal opportunity. You, you, 
You've heard someone who's, who's successful now. So I was just talking how to be successful. I come on, you know, 10 steps. As if, as if he had 10 steps. Yeah. Someone gave him a chance. Go and figure out 10 steps. As if he, was, he thought about it. No, somebody took a chance on you, not knowing you. And our charity must also take a chance on, on somebody. Just give people a chance. You'll be surprised how much God has planted in them. But this thing of doing for and not doing with creates dependency, but you are seeing this person as a less human being. How do we do that then? How do we do charity that, that locals are, that empowers? Have you looked at your Pathfinder owners lately? There's plumbing there. There's electricity there. The Northern American Division in 2014, they put artificial intelligence as part of a Pathfinder. Please just said, read on a There's a lot of serious things there. You know? So, 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 so just imagine, come now, come now, come, 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 come. Just imagine, just imagine, just imagine that, that you, you, and by the way, by the way, can, can we also use our minds, do some research. If you go to Stats SA, you will get to realize which jobs are in demand, but they've got scarce resources. Things like plumbing, things like electricians. You know, you know one of the reasons why when, when there's a power station that has fallen down, it takes longer to, to Lokuzan or we fix it, is because they actually don't have enough technicians. They outsource this thing to guys that when you meet them on the street, you'll undermine them. And those are the guys who are making money because they've got a skill nobody else has. Think about when there's a plumbing problem in your, in your home and you know nothing about plumbing. And this guy shows up with a big rod. He does one, two, three, five minutes at his 856. You'll pay for that 850 because it's got a skill you don't have. But the skill is scarce. It's always needed. So I'll block my toilet, I want to end. I want to end. So, so now I want you to imagine this thing. I want to show you a practical thing of charity that helps. Imagine a situation where we do our research and we realize that there is four skills that are needed by the economy. That has opportunities, whether you can, you can be an entrepreneur yourself after the skill or you can work for somebody. It's a skill that's not going to get you on a queue of unemployed. We pick up those four skills. They are probably there in the Pathfinder owners. If they are not there, we develop them as the Pathfinder owners. You take those skills. You then take, there are people who know how to do this thing. They are probably, they are probably retired, but because they are vegetarian, they are still healthy. Okay? So, <laughs> so, so, so you take these four skills. You get them accredited, you get the church accredited with the CITAS. And then every Sunday when people are coming for Pathfinder, they're actually coming for skills development. Amen. Let me tell you, you won't need to fund it. The government will fund it. Remember when they were leaving Egypt, God says, go and collect some money from the Egyptians. Because you are the ones who work for it. It's your taxes. Go and collect from the Egyptians. Imagine every time they come here, they learn. At lunchtime, soup kitchen comes in. Soup kitchen can't be the plan. It supports the plan. We know that these people are poor, are poor. We give them blankets, but it's only for a year. After a year, they have a certificate. They have a skill. They can get a job or employ themselves. Then they contribute to, to bring others up. It is there. Do you know that in Jamaica, in Jamaica, last year, in November, they adopted the Pathfinder program into the schools because they realized it solves the economic problems. All right. So that's all, church. I wanted to say it to you. So if I if I start it, if I start it again, there are three things that we spoke about. What drives a Christian is the love for God. When you spoke about tithe, and you say tithe, tithe is about is about gratitude. If it comes from gratitude, ten percent will be nothing. We said we return tithe because God has already blessed us. We're not returning so that He can bless us. Right. And then number two, we spoke about, 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 about offering. We said that offering are here to finance the truth that fights a finance lie. Right? And then we also then said that offerings mean nothing if they don't change the lives of people inside the church and in the community. We also said that finances are to be used to help us with our mission of being a blessing amongst nations. In other words, in other words the, the, when they are looking for solutions, Mzulu Tumamina is busy dreaming. The solutions are not there. He must be able to come this, to this church and find a solution for unemployment. It is there. We have it. But it needs offering to start off. And then I ended off with, with charity, and I said, our charity must not create dependence. We must do with, not for. We must give people dignity. We must give people legs. They must be able to stand on their own. Even the Bible expects us to let people come and work and pick up. But please understand, please understand, there are people who can't do for themselves at all. There's two things. There's emergency, and there's the, when there's an emergency, 
when there's somebody who's already crippled, they can't do anything, you exercise compassion. You don't say they must do for themselves. They can't. Your mother is 75. Where do you, nobody hires 75-year-olds. You must exercise compassion and assist those. It's an emergency situation. But there are others that are, are able-bodied that you could do something that's empowerment. You gotta, you gotta balance the two. You gotta balance the two. And lastly, the one thing I wanna say that is that when we're doing these things, let's not remove dignity from people. Can we not do that? I'll give you an example as I close of dignity. Let's say, Siazuti, and we like talking about people's poverty. We are so I mean, you could have said that without saying okay. I'm just making an example on Christmas. It's an example. Don't, don't quote me. Christmas. As I thought, children's ministry, no women's ministry. No So then they adopt this thing of every year around Christmas, the church goes with the gifts for the children. Isn't it beautiful? Ah, it's beautiful. But here's the problem with this thing. So they go, they go with these gifts. And then it's told we are papa notices. Every time we, we go there, what is happening here? We are creating a situation that sends a message that Umjalosa is not man enough to give his children gifts. The children will only get gifts as a beginning. You've made this thing about you and forgot about the dignity of this man. And then on community case day, Umjalosa is never going to show up for you to embarrass him again. Again, community case day, case day, they have to come. They come. And the way they introduce us, we outreach. Can we not destroy people's dignity when we are doing our charity? What you could have done, what you could have done, what you could have done, we could have just on a Sunday. Christmas lunch, Christmas lunch, and then they go home with the gifts. Isn't it beautiful? As he comes from a distance, the children are excited. Of their father, his dignity is back. It is still from you, but it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. So, so, that, so that's the point, Basarane. In Amen.